1: The show is all about the business of trucking, and today we've got Larry Winget with us. We'll be talking about anything at all you want to talk about. Business, life, money, relationships, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and ask the question. We're going to get to those questions in just a little bit, so get them lined up. Larry, welcome back. (laughs)
2: Hey, thanks for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing
1: fantastic. You know, this is uh, our first show of the new year, so how were your holidays?
2: You know, it's uh, good to be Larry Winget at the holidays. I get to cook and be grandpa and uh, stay at my house and not go on the road and demand that if you want to see me and get presents, you better come see me.
1: Larry, who are you kidding? It's good to be Larry Winget every day.
2: You know, that's absolutely true. It's always good to be Larry (laughs) Wiggins. That's right.
1: But we like it that it's extra special at the holidays. Yep.
2: It is. I cooked some amazing stuff. I bet you did too.
1: I did. Not as much as I wanted to. I'll tell you, you know, all at the end of last year, we had a really busy year. It was one of those kind of transition years for us in the business. We had a lot of catching up to do and a lot of new projects. And, towards the end of the year, I was saying, you know, it's been a while since we've really taken time off. First quarter of next year, we are taking time off. I'm just, you know, we're going to lay back a little bit. And then, of course, and I'm not complaining about this because I I love it, but that tax law change changed everything for us. We do a lot of tax and accounting. It's our our number one. um, It's the biggest thing we do in the business. So this has just turned everything upside down in business alone, and there were a couple things about it that specifically addressed trucking, and it wasn't intentional, but it has created massive amounts of confusion in the industry, which is one of the topics I want to talk about today. Um, So we didn't, I took some time off during the holidays, but since then we have just been slammed, so... I didn't get to cook nearly as much as I wanted to. What kind of good stuff did you cook?
2: You know, I cooked an amazing Wagyu bone-in prime rib roast. (laughs)
1: Just
2: make you cry. I damn near tear up just talking about it. I I, really do.
1: Yeah, that is one of, you know, I love a bone-in rib roast and and Wagyu. You know, speaking of that, I want to hear more about that, but I just had to travel recently, really unexpected, back back to Pittsburgh, and it was one of those trips where the food was just horrendous. I mean, I could not find a decent meal for anything. Most of it was I just didn't have time to go look, so I was eating in airports, and it was just awful. And The one day I thought, I've got to pull in and grab something to eat. And I saw a sign and there was a Panera, which I know I can get something decent there, and uh, a Chipotle. And I thought, all right, it's not gourmet, but, you know, it's better than what I've been eating. And I pulled in and right next to both of them. Now, I know I'm going to get a good meal at these two places. They're decent anyway. Right next to them is a place called Burgatory. And I thought, well, that's an interesting name. And... Being the adventurous soul that I am, I thought, I'm going to take a chance. I walked in and probably had one of the best burgers I have ever had in my life. It was so good. And it was one of these you could pick from like eight different kinds of meat. You got to build your own burger. So they had like bison and elk, but they had dry aged wagyu. And I thought, okay, that's for me. Then you got to choose from about 10 different cheeses. I got a double cream brie. Then they had dry rubs and sauces, and you could add pork belly and fried eggs, and I mean, it took me about 15 minutes to build my burger, but when it came, it was worth every bit of it.
2: (laughs) Wow, sounds great.
1: So it was, other than that, that was the only good meal I had the whole trip, so I'm looking forward to getting back to some good food. So... You know, Larry, I, I know you're not big on, like, the typical New Year's resolutions because the uh, results of those are usually horrendous. But I know you help people. You know, it, it's just a date on a calendar. It's just another month. It's January. But there's something about it. You know, it, it's psychological. It gives us a chance to kind of start over. You know, what kind of advice have you been giving people to, to make 2018 better than 2017?
2: Well, I did a big bit on New Year's Day on Fox uh, and Friends that morning, and what I talked about was the whole problem with New Year's resolutions is the word itself. Who uses the word resolution anymore <laughs> except that one day a year? And when has anybody ever resolved to do anything? We don't resolve to do things. Uh, so I have a problem with the language because it's not something we use enough that we're familiar enough with that we can actually make work. I think we need to reword uh, the whole idea of that new start around commitment. What will you commit to do? Because we understand what commitment is. And in my opinion, and I wrote a lot about this in my last book and all my books, really, uh, commitment is a serious word. And when I make a commitment, I take it seriously, and I think if we, if we really start to change our language around whatever it is we decide to do new or differently in the future, whether it be on the first day of the year or in you know, the middle of the year, it doesn't matter to me. And think about it in terms of I'm making a commitment. That's when we will be more successful.
1: Larry, that's why we have you on the show. That's the first time I've ever heard that take. You know, a, a lot of people address New Year's resolutions and give you ideas and, you know, here's a way to make it better and blah, 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 blah. We've heard it all many, many times. That's the first time I've heard that, but that's powerful.
2: Well, I appreciate that. And, and here's the deal. Once you decide what you're going to commit to, there has to be some understandings in there along the way. Whatever you commit to will go awry. It's not going to work. There will come a time when you go, holy crap, I'm in trouble here. What I set out to do didn't happen. That's the reality of anything you plan to do. Now, what most people do is derail and say, well, no, that was a stupid idea to begin with. Maybe, but probably not, or you wouldn't have thought it up to begin with. So what you have to do is step back. Be a little resilient, start over, say, this is the way I did it. Is there a different way to do it? Who should I involve? Is there someone I can ask? Can I find a mentor? Have there been any books written on this? Can I go on YouTube to find something out? Uh, Can I ask anybody in the world for help? Uh, So that's the time you step back. But I think what's kind of ridiculous is when we set out on any kind of a new venture and we think that it's going to work out, I start knowing I'm going to fail. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you know, even when you were describing it, when you switched from the word resolution, which is you're right. It's just weak. We we don't use it. It means almost nothing. But when you said commitment and I think of, oh, I'm going to make a new year's commitment. I get a gut level feeling like I I think twice. Uh, do, I, do I really yeah, want exactly. to commit to that? Mm-hmm. Because that's serious. I'm like you, if I make a commitment, that's serious. And I had a, Gut level reaction to just you saying that.
2: Well, I and I'm glad you did. And I think, sadly, we're at this place in society where not enough have that gut level reaction to the word commitment. But most of your listeners are probably a little older, and they know what commitment means. And when you give your word, by God, you got to keep your word. That's you gave your word. It's a value. It's a it, it's a core value, uh, and so. When we, uh, in our generation, use that word commitment, it means something different to us.
1: I, I love it. We're going to start talking about New Year's commitments from now on. Or any commitments for that matter. I think it works. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, you mentioned society. And, you know, I've had this thought for a while. We see this saying a lot. You know, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. I won't argue that it's true. You can look at the statistics. It is true. There's a divide. The middle class gets smaller. The rich get richer. The poor get poorer. But it's almost always used in some sort of context that it's some, you know, capitalist, greedy conspiracy or it's the government that's doing it. When in reality, and you talk about this, the rich get richer because they keep doing the things that got them rich in the first place, and the poor get poorer because they keep yeah. doing the things that made them poor. And I think we're seeing that expand to life in general. I, you know, technology was supposed to level the playing field, and I see it doing almost the opposite. I see the people that, whether we're talking about money or health or lots of areas... They continue to get better, and the bottom half in all these areas seem to get worse. And I want to, I've got to get to a break, but I want to come back. I want to get your take on that. I mean, I, I think it's happening in more than just money. I think it's happening in quality of life and and so many things. We'll talk about that and more when we get back. If you've got questions for Larry or I, jump in. We'll get to those real soon. Check out the website. It's Let'sTruck.com. Check out Larry's website, com. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Larry Wingett's here with me. We're going to take your calls and answer your questions about uh, whatever you want to talk about. So, Larry, any thoughts on that?
2: Well, you know, um, the whole idea of the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer, of course, that's the way it works. And what you said is absolutely right. Whatever it is you have going on in your life, you create it as a result of your thoughts and your actions and your habits. And uh, if whatever you've done in terms of thoughts and actions and habits has gotten you to where you are, if you continue doing them, they're going to keep you where you are, except the longer you do them, the more you're going to amplify that result. So that's why poor people who continuing who continue with poor thoughts and actions and habits get poorer because the results amplify the longer you do them, and it, it's always amazing to me that people don't get that very basic of how we achieve our results. It starts with the thoughts and the actions and the habits, and uh, and they they act confused by the fact. I wonder why this is happening to me. Well, you're doing dumb stuff, <laughs> or you're doing really smart stuff. It's it's just so simple. You just want to knock them upside the head and say, "Pay attention to what got you rich, or fit, or fat, or broke, or successful, or unsuccessful." You know, my I posted today on on uh, my little daily posting the meme that I posted, and it says. Uh, people love to talk about the term self-made, but rich or broke, successful or not successful, fit or fat, happy or sad, we're all self-made. And that comes as the result of our thoughts and our actions and our habits.
1: Interesting. I couldn't agree more. What uh, You have a new podcast, don't you?
2: I do, How to Be a Real Man. I love that. Uh, I was sitting around with the... Chris Widener. I don't know if you know him. Chris uh, has written lots of best-selling books, and uh, he sat with Zig and Zig's last few years and did a bunch of recordings with Zig. He he uh, was Jim Rohn, and he is truly my mentor, his partner in Jim's declining years. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's why he hooked up with me, because he saw these as my declining years or something, because he always <laughs> attaches himself to old speakers who eventually die. I just now thought of that. But, uh he moved to Scottsdale, and he wanted in on my brown liquor and cigar, and we were sitting around having a brown liquor and a cigar, and we were just talking about society and the world, and I said, here's part of the problem, is men have forgotten how to be men. And we've got such a skewed definition of what men uh, really should do, and who they should be, and what relationships are based on. And and uh, I, I said, somebody needs to just be teaching men about values and honesty and integrity, and, how to be in relationships. And when you give your word, you keep your word. and You know, yeah, those same things apply to women and so forth. But when you go on the Internet, there are women's entrepreneurial conferences and women's networking groups, and there's all this stuff for women. And God bless them. Go do it. I don't care. Fine with me. Terrific. But very few people have the guts to say, we're doing something for men. to Talk to men about issues that they're facing. And so we decided to do a little podcast, and holy crap, it's really doing well, where we just talk about man stuff.
1: You know, it's interesting. Why can't we just admit and realize men and women are different, and it's a good thing that they're different? We don't want them to be the same.
2: Kind of the basic appeal to me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, exactly. There's that too. But even evolutionarily, we're different for a reason, and that's not a bad thing. So why can't we just celebrate the differences and get back to being what we were supposed to be instead of trying to – you know, I say this a lot about food, but I think as a society – We here in America, we homogenize everything. We don't like extremes of anything. We have white bread and American cheese. And don't even get me started about light beer. But those are all American creations. And and we homogenized them and made them so bland and boring. But that's what we seem to like. Now we want to do it with people. We don't like the fact that you know, men have these strengths and women has, have these. We want to mix them all in the middle so you can't tell the difference.
2: I remember uh, being with at and back in the late 70s and all the way uh, through the mid-90s. And there was a movement at that time, and women started dressing like men. And they wore little suits, and they wore uh, starched uh, Oxford cloth shirts, and they wore ties. And that's what corporate America said. We want women to be uh, different versions of what men are. And so they started to look that way. And And I, I didn't like the fashion at that time because I like for women to look different than all my buddies look in their suits. I thought that, was, again, that's sort of the basic attraction. But I think that that whole thing about men become more feminized and women become more masculine until we've homogenized everything and we can't celebrate those differences while celebrating the sameness of of humanity uh it, it's really screwing up our kids where they're not going to be clear about the differences and the similarities and learn how to celebrate those and enjoy them and that's what I think will hurt us in the future is they don't understand that from a color standpoint, from an age standpoint, from a gender standpoint.
1: Yeah, there's this rush to, to say that everybody's the same when, when we're not. I mean, you know, if you want to be you know completely political in, politically incorrect, we can even look at genetics and you know, our background and our culture, and that made us different. But those were good things. But yet we seem to want to point out that that's just not right. You can't point out that somebody's different. But what's wrong with being different? If we're all the same, then it's kind of boring and it really doesn't accomplish much. So whether it's men and women or even, you know, heaven forbid you say Asians are really intelligent. You know, it's a generalization, but it's true. Generalizations are there for a reason. So are stereotypes.
2: But it doesn't mean anybody else
1: is bad or less. Yeah, most
2: cliches and things like that do have a huge element of truth in them.
1: Yeah. That where they wouldn't exist. I mean, somebody didn't just make it up. Exactly. <laughs> so you know, one of the <clears throat> things I, I love about doing the show with you, Larry, is that we can just be all over the board. Um and I just have all kinds of random notes here. You know, the the whole internet thing. I, I saw you posted something, um, you know, your proposed rules for social media posting, which I love those, by the way. But it, <laughs> We'll go over those in a second. But it also got me thinking, I, I'm an information junkie. I mean, I and you read all the time. I read all the time. I love that I have this instant access to information. But one of the things I'm seeing, and and this tax law change really brought it to light, but I see it in a lot of areas, is you also have instant access to a lot of really bad information, information that is just completely wrong. I'm not even talking about opinions. Everybody has those. But there's a lot of access to information that's just wrong.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. And the reason we uh, are attracted to that kind—I just finished a book. You should read. It's called "Win Bigly." Have you seen it?
1: I have not, but that was win going to be Bigley one of my by, questions to you. Yeah,
2: by yeah, by Scott Adams, who does the Dilbert stuff. He's a guy who uh, uh, he, he calls himself an uber liberal, but he what he did was he was one of the very first people to predict a Trump win, and he, it's the book is written around how Trump won it, but it's not a political book. He just explains what happened in society that allowed that win to happen through understanding the art and skill of persuasive technique. And when he breaks down persuasive technique, I'm just fascinated. Finally, it it explained uh, why I've been successful in my career. And it's about how we live in a society that really doesn't care much about facts, that we are more emotionally controlled. And, uh, and when he goes through all of that, it makes so much sense. But he talks about in there this thing called confirmation bias, that when we see something, whether it's true or not, if it reinforces our bias, then we will accept it as truth and perpetuate it. And that's what's happening is that we have this set of beliefs that are not based on fact. They're just how we feel about things. And when we find anything, whether it's a lie or not, if it reinforces our incorrect assumptions or our correct ones, that's what we're gl- going to glom onto and accept to be real.
1: You know, I've read about the confirmation bias. that That's a true thing. I, this book, I that I'm excited now. I have another book to read. That's what I was going to ask you about. I do have a question though. How the hell do you spell Bigly? B i g l y. Okay, I couldn't figure out that one, but uh, I love the concept. So I'm gonna I'm gonna grab that book. You mentioned Trump, so I'll continue down that path. But uh, I'm looking at the clock. Looks like we're going to be heading into a break right now. Um, Larry, your new podcast. Um, easiest way to find that how to be a real man would be your website right
2: yeah you can also go to the website real man podcast ah okay
1: real man podcast check it out check out larry's site larrywingit.com we've got more to talk about and we'll be getting to your calls and questions right after this stick around we'll be right back i'm kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Larry Wingate is here. We're going to be taking your calls. We're uh, we're kind of all over the board today. That's what I love about this show. Um, you know, if you look around, Larry, what's going on with the economy, um, the whole fixation on Trump and the little debate in the media and little debate, it's all you ever hear anymore Um You know, clearly, our economy business, it runs in cycles anyway. Sometimes it's just timing. You know, presidents get credited for things that they may or may not have anything to do with. It's so complicated. If you ask, you know, 10 economists, you'll get 12 answers. So I'm certainly not giving Trump credit for everything that's happening. But in our industry right now, rates are through the roof. Some of the We're, we're setting records on rates. Um, this new tax law change, I've been heavily focused on taxes since the last big one, which was Reagan in 86. I've never seen anything like this. This was so business friendly. The idea that you get to take the first 20% of your profit as a business and not pay tax on it. We've never had anything like that. That's incredible. the The lower corporate tax. You know, you have Apple talking about investing three hundred and fifty billion dollars that they're going to bring back into the country, and they'll pay about thirty eight million in tax on that. Or yeah, or billion million. It was a lot. Um, it, this, it's all good news. I mean, I, I it's you know it things are looking good, and yet. I turned on one of the press conferences the other day, and they were talking about Trump's health. Did you watch that?
2: Yeah, it's just, uh, what a sad state of affairs. You know, and then you got Sanjay Gupta on CNN saying that uh, he's looking at the same numbers that the doctor, who, who by the way, was the same doctor for Obama exactly. and for George W. Bush. Uh, same guy, by the way. It's just now it's a different politician involved, and he's saying that he's perfectly healthy. And Sanjay Gupta says, "I look at those numbers and say," and he says, "He has heart disease. Really? Yeah. Uh, it's just because they don't like his personality."
1: They, they were asking about bone spurs. Come on, <laughs> I, I, and, and they, they asked twenty-two times. I went back and counted. After after they talked about the fact that he went through a psychological evaluation, which isn't required, the doctor didn't even recommend it. But Trump said, no, I want you to do it. And he, the doctor says he passed the flying colors. There's no indication that he has any anything that would interfere with his mental capacity. And after that, 22 times they asked about dementia, Alzheimer's, you name it like they couldn't let that go then they asked about bone <laughs> spurs and I thought I, I am I'm ashamed for them that that they are behaving yeah. this way on national TV I am just ashamed for them that that was the best they could do
2: well here's the deal <laughs> if I had money invested and let's say it was a uh, Warren Buffett and running a uh, a fund out there that I could invest my money with, I wouldn't give a damn what his health was. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. Well, if the results are good, I'm going with results. Now, I look at the president at, in more in that way, as a CEO. And finally, we have a president who is running it like a CEO. I don't like him personally. I don't either. Uh, there's a lot to dislike about him on a personal level. But I judge results. I try to rejudge results in my employees always. I've had employees I couldn't stand, but the results were so good. I figured out a way to put up with them. Isn't that why we hire people? And believe me, he's just hired for four years or maybe eight years. And if the results are good, there you go. I'm good.
1: Same with me. I didn't, I was honest. I didn't vote for him. I don't like him personally, but his results are pretty spectacular, and honestly, again, I I don't know that we can attribute all of this good news to him, but you can clearly see what he's doing. This was a very business-friendly tax plan, finally. Finally, they stopped punishing small businesses and actually gave them a reward. I think that's going to have a huge impact um, so, so I do like what he's doing. It, it is just unbelievable. Here's the one question about their health that I just shook my head and thought, can't believe you just asked that. One of the reporters said, is there anything about his health that you're hiding that you're not allowed to tell us? Well, how do you answer that question?
2: <laughs> uh, when did you stop meeting your wife? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean- you know, it's one of those questions
1: that there's no answer that where there's a winner. Right, right. I, I, yes, we're hiding things from you, and I can't tell you what they are because I have to hide them. I, I was just <laughs> <sighs> unbelievable. So, uh, tell, you know what? What do you say we get to a uh, call? Looks like we've got some piling up. You and I can talk all day, but. Cool. All right, let's do that. Let's go to Virginia. Lori, welcome to the program.
0: Hi, fellas. How are you today?
1: Good. What's on your mind?
0: Good. It's lovely to meet you. Um, I've been listening to all your stuff. Um, Very interesting. Um, Adam called in yesterday and asked some questions he wanted to ask, but there's something that's kind of tearing us apart as owners of our company that I need to address on my end because I'm not too sure what to do here from a woman's point of view. And the fact is we have an employee that works for us, only one works four days a week, taking care of his job, only called in sick one time in two years, but he's very disrespectful to me, and he does not listen to me, and he hangs up on me, and he drove without a current medical card because he didn't give it to me, and there's some things that are going on, and I want to fire him. I've already written him up numerous times for not following company policy, and Adam's like, he's doing his job. Let it go. Uh, and I'm I'm not too sure. I mean, I just heard the whole thing about the president, and I'm like, okay, the results are good, yes. But do I want to risk losing my company right now? Um, Adam got an out-of-service, and so we got a letter from FMCSA, and they're watching us. And I'm concerned. I'm concerned for my company. Um, not only is the owner causing me problems, but also my employee. And I'm just really in a tough spot. I don't know what to do.
1: Got it. So I'll jump in, Larry. I'm sure you're going to have some uh, an opinion and some good advice on this. But let me kind of set it up for you. This in no way what I'm about to change changes the way I feel about this person. But, Larry, we're in an industry with with historical turnover of drivers of over a 100 percent. And if I'm a driver and, you know, somebody pisses me off and I quit this morning, I could have 10 jobs this afternoon. It, along with big signing bonuses of tens of thousands of dollars that that's where we are in this industry right now and we are facing bigger shortages because the largest group of drivers right now the, you know the baby boomers they're retiring and we don't have a lot of new drivers coming in so this this is a bigger issue than it might be for a lot of businesses cuz people are starting to feel this desperation around drivers but it in no way changes my attitude that that guy would be history. That, that's just my opinion on that. And okay. that's, a, that's a tough decision to make in a business like this when things are booming. There's lots of money to be made. Drivers are at an absolute premium. But this is a moral issue. You, you just You're not going to treat me that way. Agreed. You're not going to treat my employees Agreed. that way. You're not going to treat my spouse that way. You know, maybe we'd have some, you know, heart-to-heart talking about it first and give him a chance once you make the rules very clear. But if he steps over that line one more time, he's just gone. I mean, that's really all I would have to
2: say about it. No, he did. Oh, well, then. Well, I would jump in and say fire him. Okay. It's because it's an issue of respect. Now, what you talked about, and you were referring to what we just said about the president, about getting results. You say he's getting results, but there there, could— there are a couple of different ways to get results. You can get results at any cost, which is what he's doing. <clears throat> or you can get results the right way with integrity right. and honesty and respect. That's what, and that's not that's what, what I he's want. doing. Agreed. Well, he's not doing 100%. that, so he's not a yeah. good employee. And if you don't okay. risk your company over a guy. Just don't do that.
0: That's what I feel. I mean, I want to run a you know, abide by the laws through the ELDs. So every time I ask them, please work on the ELD, please put your app on. No. Please put the stickers on the side of the truck. No, it's just been a constant fight with
2: my. (laughs) (laughs) That's a disrespect for you as the owner. And don't
0: tell my husband doesn't have my back. My husband doesn't have my back. He's not. He's not backing me up on this. He's like, let him just. He's. He's. You know, getting the job done. You just because you don't like him personally, and it has nothing to do with that. I had a heart-to-heart talk with him. Like, what's going on? What's you know? Let's let's get personal. What's going on in your life? What? Why? And I don't have it. Support from either guys.
1: So let me let me get to a break. We'll come back to you, Lori. Here's the thing not only do we have legal issues here, he's putting your company at legal risk, but if he treats you that way and you're the one writing his checks, what's he doing to your customers? What's he doing to people on docs, to, to everybody else he's interacting with? We know the answer. We'll be right back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Larry Winget is here with me. We're talking with Lori in Virginia about employees. Lori, the only reason I said, you know, maybe you make things very clear to him. You give him, you know, a chance at this is because sometimes, many times we treat Uh people. We we teach people how to treat us and you allow it a little bit in the beginning and they push a little more. And that's human nature. So I thought, Uh you know, if the guy's really doing a good job, you give him one chance to straighten up in all these other areas. But I, I don't. Sounds like it's already been talked about. Right. He's absolutely refusing to do stuff.
0: Yeah,
1: Th- this isn't even a close call.
0: Right, and I made up like a company policy when things started getting weird. Like, okay, look, if because a lot of things what he was doing was he was going out and fixing something on our trailer, and then just being like, "You owe me forty dollars," <laughs> and I'm like, "For what?" What? And it was a it was a constant. And I'm like, you're spending my money. You're not allowed to spend my money without my consent. And I put a policy and I, and then he, he told me on the phone, I don't like rules. I don't want to, I don't want any rules on me. You know what's going on. I'm like, well, he got in an accident last year. We got an audit with our insurance company. They found that his stuff didn't match up with what he put down in this thing. And I missed it and they dropped us. So because of this person, I've gotten dropped from my insurance company. Um, because of, you know, Adam, we're now on, pro- you know, watch with FMCSA okay. and I'm just like, how is this company falling apart in front of my eyes?
2: Well, Kevin, I would say you don't, uh, to tell Lori here that you don't have an employee problem. You have a, uh, a business partner problem. And, uh, that's what you're going to have to solve first. You've got to get your husband, Adam on your side on this deal. I mean, that's just the way it is.
0: I'm, I'm trying. I, I really am. But that's a totally another can of worms. I'm not even wanting to open up right now about what he's done. Last year, we could have been already out of debt this year. I tell him this constantly because it makes me so mad. But we, we would have been out of debt this year personally, and we would have had maybe only $15,000 left in, in company debt, and we would have been debt-free this year. And Adam did some things that set us back
1: a hey. lot. Hey, a hey whole lot. Larry,
0: just and I'm very mad.
1: J- just so you know, um, Laurie, this is, you know, jokingly sort of uh, Adam's a very loyal listener to the show and calls me usually every weekend. And we talk about yes, the business and, and numbers. Yes, yeah, right. And yeah, but I don't always get the whole story. So, you know, once in a while I get to No, play- you don't. <laughs> I, 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 I get to play Dr. Phil sometimes, too, on this show.
0: Yep.
2: Well, I just did a whole thing about what to do when you're um, on my other podcast uh, about what to do you're on, when you're on a different page. And the first thing you have to do is acknowledge you're on a different page and why. And that's the discussion. Why do you feel this way? Why do I feel this way? And then it comes down to I believe everything has to be done in writing, that you sit down with a sheet of paper and you discuss the pluses and the minuses. And it really does come down to if there are more uh, cons than pros on this thing, that you have to take action. And every good discussion, and this is about good communication, has to uh, to have two people enter that with that at the end, we're going to agree to something. And we're going to take action on what we agree to. And uh, it really comes down to when the Cons outweigh the pros, uh, or the pros outweigh the cons, but it comes down to making a list, and right now, it's highly emotional, and you have to get the emotion out of something that is this logical that has to do with your business.
1: You know, Larry, you've you've experienced this, and I certainly have. Lisa and I work very closely together, and, you know, relationships are a challenge. All the things you just talked about, communication, that's just good basic, you know, anything we're talking about, that's a good way to approach it. Adding a business into a marriage really amplifies the problems. You know, it's so easy to allow the emotion from the relationship to seep over to the business where things should just be logical. Uh, So, you know, I know the struggle they're going through and then they have another layer that, you know, Adam's out on the road most of the time. Lori's at home running the business, dealing with the day-to-day stuff. So I, I get it. It's challenging, but uh, that's really good advice, advice about, you know, just bringing this back down to basic communication first. What uh, I, I'm going to throw you a, a total curveball out of left field there. Are you ready? Sure. I just, I happen to look down at my show notes and, I, something I've been following pretty closely, I don't talk a lot about it on the show, but I, I follow it for several years now. The the whole opioid epidemic, um, I, I recently had it you know, hit pretty close to home in a very bad way, um, and it's something I've been watching. The numbers are horrendous. We could talk all day about the problem and how it occurred, but I, I happened to be watching a documentary the other day, and this number really struck me. Something you're probably very familiar with living where you do. Um, for, for, what, about a decade now, we've heard about this horrendous violence on the streets of Mexico. The, the drug cartels, you know, shooting up everybody and everything and blood in the streets. And, I mean, it sounds horrendous. And it is. I'm not trying to downplay it. But I saw the numbers. <clears throat> and in their worst year of, of this gun violence, these cartels fighting over territory... 8,000 people died in the street. And you think about that number, and you think, that's really bad. It is. But why don't we compare that and get just as outraged in the fact that we killed 60,000 people with opioids last year alone?
2: Okay. My response to that is because a doctor prescribed it. Yes. Absolutely, and we have this ridiculous false trust that we've put in anybody who has the two letters dr in front of their name, and we say, "Well, how could a doctor who has taken an oath prescribe something that would be bad for me?" And so we have this sounds so cruel, but it's true if you understand what the word means an ignorant consumer. And ignorant means that they don't know better. They've never taken the time to do the research, the study. They they just know I have a pain and this doctor has said this will alleviate the pain. And so they become addicted and then eventually die as a result of these opioids. Uh, and it's this misplaced trust and it's ignorance. And until we get a more educated consumer who's willing to deal with pain in a different way this is only going to continue to grow
1: everybody that that you know studies this or talks about it says we're nowhere near the peak this is going to get far worse before it gets better and you know <clears throat> 60,000 people in a year And you're absolutely right. We have doctors still to this day. We're finally starting to talk about it. But you send your, you know, 16 year old down to get their wisdom teeth pulled and they'll come home with 30 days worth of Vicodin. What the hell is that?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's just... But a bottle of Tylenol would be just
1: fine. You know what? Give them the 600-milligram the Tylenol pr- by prescription only if you want to do that. You know, but only for a couple days. Yeah, it hurts, but it hurts for a couple days at best, and yet we give these incredibly <laughs> addictive narcotic painkillers, and we give them 30 days' worth. I, I, I'm just appalled at that.
2: But, you know, part of that, though, Kevin... Kevin, that that really reflects on society, though, at a whole other level, that we are not willing as a society to experience pain at all. So we numb ourselves from pain. That's why we have safe zones on campuses. That's why we're we're having First Amendment issues right now, because we want to shield ourselves from anything in the world, physically, emotionally, spiritually, uh, that might challenge us, or cause us pain on any level. And until we're able to grasp the idea that pain is where we grow and that it's a natural part of life and thinking uh, and every area of our physical being, that pain is a natural part of that, we're never going to deal with any of these things responsibly.
1: You know, you hit right to the heart of it because what a lot of people don't realize is why people get addicted to these things so quickly. They they clearly numb the physical pain and nobody wants to feel that physical pain. But what they, what they also do is they numb all the emotional pain. And like you just said, people don't want to feel that kind of pain, even though that's how we grow. And they, they're so comfortable with that emotional pain being numbed. They just continue using these long after the physical pain is gone. Most physical pain, last a couple days at most. Our body's pretty good at healing itself. But the emotional pain for a lot of people is always there, and they don't deal with it. Now they find a way to just cover it up.
2: Yep, exactly right. And uh, that's what we have to address in society, I think, is the bigger responsibility. I'm tired of trying to legislate everything. I know you are too. Yeah. And I would hope that we would go back to core values and internalize it.
1: Absolutely love it. Check out Larry Winget's website. Larry, as always, thanks and uh, great stuff. Thank you. All right. It's LarryWinget.com. Check out his new podcast. If you haven't listened to his books, my God, what are you waiting for? Get one. You'll be hooked on the rest. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Fit and healthy. Always. Do the hard work and master the journey of Kevin Rutherford.